Good evening, everybody. It is good to see you tonight on this sunshiny Wednesday night. Uh, tonight we're starting a, a new series, but before we do, Terry, I, I don't, I don't see one up here. So, is there one over here? Am I, am I, am I just missing it? I will walk over here and see if my there is one here. All right, Terry, you've got better eyes than I do. Black on black over there. Don was not here last week for this, so he's getting it this week. He's so it's good, it. <laughs> good to see you. Do you care if I set it up? Go ahead and tell you. Go ahead okay. And uh, when Colossians came around, uh, I was so excited, I thought, I'm going to go to Colossians. And I struggled with it, of course, leaving Pastor's Group. I've been here, I've been faithful to the Wednesday nights here. I just really like Colossians. So I went ahead and went the first two weeks to Colossians. It was great. It's fantastic. But I felt a little unsettled after each session. Brings me to last Wednesday, okay? We got the time going. Last Wednesday, I had a lull lull in work. I work full-time from home. And I said, well, I'm going to tune up pastors last two Wednesday nights online and listen because I wanted to continue my notes and listen because he's really good at this stuff, I'm telling you. So anyway, got through the first one, and then it, right in the middle of the second one, I knew that I knew that I knew, and, and what came out of my mouth was, I missed it, didn't I? And surefire, as, as if he was right in the room with me, he said, yes, you did. I said, ooh, okay. So I immediately repented, and I said, okay, I'm going to get this right tonight. I will um, ask Pastor to forgive me. And he did. And then I went to, now listen, I went to the Colossians leaders in my small group leader there and told them, because it's rude just to drop out with an explanation. And we all know that love is not rude. So I explained to them so they didn't think that something was weird, you know. And then... um, Right after I repented and told the Lord I'd get it straight, immediately, this guy comes to me, Don. I go, what? You know, and uh, he gave me a word for him, and it had four points. I mean, it was just spectacular. I'm going, wow, this is great. And so I said, okay, I'm going to talk to Pastor about this first, of course. And there was a little twist to it. So I asked him, I said, what do you think about me doing this in front of everybody? Because 99% of the time, I'm one-on-one, you know. And he knows, he's, I've been around here a while, he's tested me out, so he said, yeah, let's make this practical. Because I'm telling you, all this thing about prophecy and giving words and all that, it's not woo, 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 woo. It's very practical. Yeah. And you don't need to close your eyes when someone is operating in this, because you need to look and watch and listen and learn. That's how I learned in the very beginning. I was sitting under some people who flowed in the gifts beautifully, and especially in prayer. I didn't close my eyes. Everybody else was closing their eyes and praying in the Spirit. I said, how can you know anything? So I sat there just like a baby, huh? And watched. That's how I learned. So I thought, let's make this practical. Because everybody in here is capable 
and we are to desire and covet this one above all. Amen? Amen. That's what okay, so here we go. First of all, I don't know Don that well. I know Judy. I do know he's a nurse. I'm a nurse. We have talked a little bit. You work at McFarland. Is there anybody who doesn't know what McFarland is? McFarland is a state hospital for the adult inpatient psychiatric patients. These are in our city. I know the homeless are, are and the poor is poor in spirit, but these are the most captive people in our city. They're oppressed, depressed, they're, they have chains, they're, they're the poorest of the poor, and our Jesus died for them. So, I do know that Don felt like maybe a year or two ago, you felt like the Lord wanted you to be in prayer while you're working and pray for that group of people and pray there. So I salute you for number one, doing um, nursing in that setting. I did four years of inpatient psychiatric, so I know. But my, my, my uh, patients were all children from three to 12. It's a tough job. And he works nights. The graveyard shift of all shifts. So anyway, my dear brother, the first thing he said to me to tell you is don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged because your labor of prayer is not in vain. Coupled right with that is you're not alone. You may be the point man. You may be at ground zero. You're on site. But he's got at least... And he told me hundreds here in Springfield that are assigned to pray for that place and to pray for that population of our community and in our nation. It's a horrible thing. They, they can't function. They can't function in group homes. They can't function at home. So imagine that. Imagine their families. He's at ground zero. So, don't be discouraged. Your labor is not in vain, and you're not alone. Not only is the Holy Spirit with you, but you're not alone in this thing because the supply he has given you is the part you're supposed to play. It's joining up the Master, the Holy Spirit, has all kind of people praying for this and praying. So, don't feel alone. And I know you, get, you can get discouraged in that. And he put it to me this way. This is the example I use for myself and for others. The Holy Spirit is like the master chef. And who's under the master chef in the kitchen? Sous chefs. So our part in prayers like this and praying through what seems impossible is to be a good sous chef and just do what you're supposed to do and not worry about everything else. Just be faithful to do that. So. Well, sure, I don't want to be chopping onions when my friend's got the dessert bar. You know, he's got the dessert round. But no, he may have you chopping onions. Be faithful to that in your prayer time, just like in that. And then when the master chef says, it's time, guess what? Every part of the sous chef is going to come together and a feast will be laid out. I liken that until, now this is my opinion, but I, there's, other, there's three other gifts of the Spirit that I've been assigned to pray for to come to pass. And those what I call the power gifts. The gifts of healings, that's plural. 
the gift of faith that's different than the measure of faith and our, our individual faith, and the working of miracles. Don't you want to see that? Amen? So I believe that there will be a time coming, and I hope so soon, but I don't know. And this is not a thus saith the Lord, but I believe those gifts will be coming. Those people are going to be set free. We're going to see autistic kids set free and healed and delivered as a sign to the unbelievers and to their families. Can we say amen to that? Amen. So, brother, you are in line. You're doing your chopping of the onions that will eventually be pulled all together by the master chef. So it makes the job a little easier. Amen? He also wants you to ask him how to lead you in prayer. Don't get in routine. Just say, how should I pray tonight? Or what's my job tonight? Don't worry if it sounds, you know, different than what you're doing. Routine kills us. It, it becomes religious. It becomes man-made. It comes too easy. So let the Spirit lead you and ask him to give you utterances in prayer, in your prayer language, and in English. And also, he's going to give you songs to sing as you're walking around because he sings songs of deliverance over us all the time. Praise the Lord. Then the last thing, <laughs> he said to tell him you're a good man. You are a good man, not because of your works, but because you have yielded yourself to the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is goodness. And he said to tell you that you're a good man because of, you've yielded to that. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray for him. Thank you, Lord, for my brother. Encourage him. Strengthen him. Continue to use yes, him Lord. mightily, God. Let him know he's not alone. Let him know that he is on point. Just keep being faithful to do and give of his supply. And more's going to come and more's going to come and more's going to come. And he'll be amazed at what's coming out of his heart and his mouth. Give him a vision for victory, for deliverance. That these people would somehow be ministered to and touched in their lives, God. And comforted in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Now, that word could have uh, just as easily, I'm going to have to take this over and put it up, could have just as easily been given one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. But we wanted, it, uh, we wanted you to, to see it and to hear it, uh, to kind of give you a, a, a picture of anybody who hasn't seen these before. A kind of a picture of how these can work in, in life. So Terry could have easily just grabbed Donna off the side and said, hey, I, I've got something for you. I mean, let's share, share this with you. And then it's up to Don now to say, boy, Lord, I'm going to receive that. I'm going to act on that. I'm going to remember the things I was told in that. I'm going to start praying that way. I'm going to start worshiping that way. I'm going to start thinking that way and walking in that promise. If he senses in his spirit, boy, that's that's from God for me. So that's just how, how that kind of unfolds. Uh, tonight, we're starting our series on the Psalms. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up to the, the Psalm chapter 1. And here's kind of how this is going to play out over the next five weeks. Uh, the first few minutes of the teaching 
is going to just be on some factual things, some insight things about the Psalms themselves. And then after a few minutes, we will turn from that and take one of the Psalms and kind of break that down uh, for us so we can begin to get some meat out of it and see what it's saying and why it's saying it. Uh, the main information uh, about, this, uh, about the Psalms uh, comes from several sources that we, use, uh, that, that we use for these kind of things to help us. And uh, so I want you to just kind of go along with me. First of all, just to get an idea, the, the, the name Psalms means... Uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the Greek, songs to the accompaniment of stringed instruments. So when you think about the psalms themselves, these are uh, songs that would have been sung. The name is taken from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Hebrew title for the book uh, means very simply praise songs. So it's like a, a book of praise songs. That would have been uh, that could have been sung and would have been sung at different points in time throughout the Jewish uh, worship calendar. The Psalms were composed over a period of approximately 900 years, the oldest to the last one. The earliest Psalm, Psalm 90. Uh, was written by Moses. And I, and I would encourage you with these notes to just maybe keep them in your Bible at the at, at and that way you can kind of refer back so it'll help you understand as you read through the Psalms. One of the great ways to read through the Psalms is to, uh, you know, we talk about reading it one chapter of Proverbs every day. I encourage people, encourage you to do that in the morning, first thing in the morning, Read, read the chapter that corresponds with whatever calendar day it is. If it's the first, you read the first. If it's the 15th, you read the 15th proverb. And then take that proverb, and whatever in that proverb stands out to you that day, uh, meditate on it throughout the day. Think about it throughout the day. Let it really sink into your heart. Now, the Psalms, if you read five Psalms every night, uh, every night of the week you read five, you will get through the Psalms in a month. And I encourage people to do that just before you go to bed. Now, there are places when you get like to the 119th Psalm where that takes a few minutes to do. There are other places where it takes four or five minutes to read all five of them. Some of them are very short, some of them are long, but again, I, I want to tell you, if you want to sleep better at night, uh, read the Psalms. If you have trouble in your, in, in your dreams, if you have trouble in sleeping, if you have trouble uh, in, in, in worrying at night and, and things being on your mind and not being able to get them off of your mind so you can rest, Read the Psalms, and instead of thinking about whatever you're thinking about, train your mind, concentrate your mind on 
something in those psalms that you read that day and think about that and rejoice in that, and you'll have more peace when you sleep. So the earliest one is Psalm 90. The the latest were written by various authors after the Babylonian captivity. The two latest ones were Psalm 126 and Psalm 147. This happens after the Babylonian captivity, after they have returned back to uh, Jerusalem. The Psalms are primarily associated with David because he wrote most of them. And I put in your notes a breakdown of the Psalms and who wrote which ones uh, so that you can be very clear. Some of them clearly state who wrote them, and some of them don't. So you see here, first of all, the first grouping is David. So on your notes, you can put David right there, and you see he wrote Psalm 73 and all of these other uh, psalms. Then the next grouping is Asaph. He wrote uh, the psalms that are listed there second. And then the next group are the descendants of Korah. These are worship leaders. These are people of, of, uh, 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 of the tribes that you know, would take care of the temple, Levites. And, and his descendants wrote these, uh, these psalms. Solomon uh, wrote uh, several psalms. He wrote two that, very, uh, two that we're really pretty sure of, one that's in debate. We know he wrote Psalm 72. Psalm 127, many people think he wrote it. That one's kind of in debate. And we believe he may have also wrote the fir- have written the first psalm, the one we're going to look at tonight. Ethan wrote one, Psalm 89. Heman wrote one, Psalm 88. Moses wrote one, Psalm 90. And we'll see why that becomes important in just a minute. And then there are 50 psalms that we don't know exactly who wrote them. Uh, They're anonymous. Many of these were most likely written by David. And interestingly enough, one of them that's listed in this group is Psalm 2 that actually Acts chapter 4 attributes to David and says that David wrote it. And so I kind of have a tendency to believe what the Bible says about itself. Now, If you read carefully through the Psalms, you will come to these places in the Psalms where it says this is the end of book one or this is the beginning of book three. The Psalms fall into five books. And I've left those on there so you can understand what they are. Book one is, they're all of different length, one through 41. Book 2, 42 to 72. Book 3, 73 to 89. Uh, Book 4, 90 to 106. Uh, Book 5, 107 to 150. And how many are in each of those you see uh, very clearly. Each of these books ends with a very emphatic and triumphant burst of praise that was probably added on to that psalm when uh, the book was, when, when that grouping of psalms was put together and completed 
uh, at the time that it was completed. And I've listed those out for you so you can look at them and see them and understand why they're there. Now, here's the interesting point. It is suggested, many theologians believe, that each book corresponds thematically to the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. The general thought is this, that book one emphasizes the themes, and this will help you as you read them, if you'll think about this and look at this. Book one emphasizes the themes of creation, of sin, and of salvation. Those first 41 chapters. Uh, it is, that supposedly corresponds to Genesis, which prominently, prominently displays those very same things. Book two is weighted, is weighted with the theme of redemption. And as you, as you read that and you think about, if you, if you'll, when you get to those books, if you'll think about redemption, you'll begin to see more clearly what those books are, what those, what those chapters are saying to us. And it, of course, is said to correspond with the book of Exodus, which is all about God's redeeming power to bring people out of bondage. Book three corresponds with Leviticus because of their common emphasis on the sanctuary. And as you read through book three, you're going to see all these uh, allusions and talking back about the sanctuary and what that means. Book four with numbers uh, because of the promise, pro, uh, the promin, prominence in each of those, it relates to Moses and Israel's wandering in the wilderness. And that's where you're going to find chapter 90, which we, we believe was written by Moses. But you're going to see this whole concept of how wandering in the wilderness, how that impacts and how that impacts our lives and how it touches us. Book 5 with Deuteronomy relates to Deuteronomy because of the emphasis in each of the chapters on the Word of God. So as you read those books, as you read those books and as you read inside of those books the different chapters, if you have in mind this is dealing with the Word of God, you have in mind, this is dealing with redemption. This is showing me how the sanctuary and how that relates to holiness and righteousness. You're going to have a better understanding of each and every one of those psalms as you read it. Many Hebrew scholars saw those divisions as a response to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And one modern writer who accepts this view says that the psalms is also a Pentateuch. It's, it's five books. And it's the echo of the Mosaic Pentateuch from the heart of Israel. It is a five-fold book of the congregation to Jehovah as the law is a five-fold book of Jehovah to the congregation. 
So when we see the first five books of the Bible, this is God speaking clearly to us about holiness, about redemption, about our condition as man, about his promise of of redemption. And you'll see in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about the Psalms and the fact that this and the Psalms are more prophetic statements about Jesus than in any other group of writings in the Old Testament. And so you see this throughout the Psalms as you read it and as you begin to recognize it. We'll give you a, a list of scriptures that very specifically are prophetic about Jesus and his coming. And so when we think about this, we think about uh, <clears throat> the first five books of the Bible being God speaking to man about our condition and what he's doing and showing how he's going to redeem us. And then what we find with David and with the writers of the Psalms is now man's righteous response back to God. How we respond back to him. Now, it's good to remember that the Bible itself never makes that claim. It's interesting. It's true. We get insight because of it. It helps us understand each of the Psalms when you make that connection. Uh, that there is a, some, there's reality in the themes, but you will see more and more about these themes and as we walk through the weeks ahead. The other thing that could, the divisions may simply be because of the times of the various psalms when they were compiled. The first book, 41 chapters, most likely compiled by Solomon after David had died and David had written all of these psalms and they believe Solomon either compiled them himself or he commissioned a group of people to compile them and put them together. And over the next weeks we will show you when each one got compiled and how it got added into uh, the, the life of the Jewish people as the Psalms as we understand it today. When you understand the timing of the writing and you understand the author, you're gonna, again, you're going to get a better grip of the meaning and how it impacts you. What is this saying to you? So the main reason uh, to read and know the Psalms I'm going to tell you what I think the main reason is. The Psalms pour hope into our spirits. We're going to give you other reasons why we read them. But the Psalms as a living book, when you read it, hope grows in you when you're desperate to understand it. In times of trouble, I know of nothing better for a person to read. When somebody comes to me and they, they're walking through a time where they're really struggling with doubt, they're walking through a time of life when things seem to be crashing in and their life isn't working and they're filled with fear. They're worried about how, what the outcome of life is going to be. 
when people come and something has happened, they're going through grief or somebody's betrayed them or something's happened in life and their heart is broken and they're hurting. They're hurting. When someone's mourning the loss of someone, when someone's feeling attacked by people, by other groups, I always point them back to reading the Psalms because you're going to find people writing in those places who have the very same issues and what God says to them through their writing that now comes alive in us. And so anybody who's struggling in life, I would encourage you to begin to really take time to read the Psalms and highlight those things that God is speaking to you at that time with what you're going through and hold on to it. Hold on to it. In times of uncertainty, I I immediately start reading the Psalms because the Psalms will talk about God as our protector, how God keeps us, and I'll find certain Psalms just jump, certain parts of the Psalms just jumping off the page into my spirit so that I walk away from that at night after, as I've read it with hope in my spirit instead of doubt or fear or anxiety in my spirit. This will help you live in the peace that God wants you to live in if you'll take time to really read and study the Psalms. And so you just read them. You just read them. You just look for it. And you just begin to read through them and, and, and let it speak to you. And uh, as you do that, it's going to breathe life into you. And, and again, as I said, especially if you're going through any kind of trouble, especially at night if you're having trouble sleeping because you're worried about something or you're fearful about something or you're troubled about something, go to the Psalms. Look at what, these, what, what God is saying to us through these people who've written the Psalms. That's the purpose of them. And we'll talk more about some of the things you can do. Now, let's take a look, a very specific look, at the first book uh, and the first chapter of the first book. Book 1 is chapter 1 uh, through 41. All but four of them are clearly attributed to David. Uh, It's in this book that David becomes one of the most prolific writers uh, in the Old Testament revealing to us so much, uh, not only in his life as being a type of Christ, but revealing to us our relationship with Jesus. Now, chapters 1 and 2 are seen by many as an introduction to the Psalms themselves. Psalm 1 may be written by Solomon, may be commissioned by Solomon, as he compiled these first group, this first book of the Psalms, as he put them together in a very organized way, probably, as we said earlier, after his father's death. Chapter 2, there's some debate about, what, about who wrote that, but again, chapter, chapter 4 of, of, uh, of Acts tells us clearly that David wrote it, and I would trust that. So, in book 1, chapter 1, it lays out for us 
the truth that's going to get pounded home to us, that's going to be revealed to us over and over and over again throughout the Psalms, that's going to come alive in us, that's going to give us the freedom to rest in the storm, to sit back in the middle of any storm and say, no worries here. Everything's okay. And this is the theme that it lays out. The way of the righteous, the outcome of the righteous, and the way of the wicked, and the outcome of the wicked. So listen as we, as we look at Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, this is an introduction to this first book of Psalms. It's giving us the theme of what's going to roll through this whole thing. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now it takes the turn. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is kind of a, a theme of what you're going to see more and more of as you read that first book of the Psalms, and it's going to unfold these thoughts about the righteous and about the wicked. Now, one of the things that happens throughout the entirety of the Psalms is you see that there are Psalms that fit into certain categories, and we will talk about those categories uh, in the weeks ahead. In the different books, in the different chapters, there are different categories. One of the categories is wisdom. Chapter 1 clearly falls into the wisdom grouping. Some of them, you know, kind of intermix with each other. It gets to be a little confusing, but we'll explain that in the weeks ahead. What it's doing here is it's comparing the outcome of the life of the righteous and the outcome of the life of the wicked. And it's telling us that as we read this first book, you're going to see more and more about that, and that's going to get planted deeply in your spirit. One of the reasons for this is when you know that you're doing what the righteous man does, when you're living the way the righteous man lives, you can count on God to be your protector. 
You can trust God for the outcome. You don't have to be worried. But now I need to know what the righteous man does. I need to understand how he lives. So what we find in this chapter is one of the first corrective claims of the Bible that rests all throughout Scripture. Here's what the world says. The world says that the man who will find happiness does just what he wants to do. Common theme. Common theme of, of, of man's thought. What I feel in my heart is truth to me. I, I don't need to resist what's in my heart. I need to give in to what's in my heart. If it's in my heart, doesn't matter what the rules are sexually. I should give in to what I want to do. That's how I find happiness. If it's in my heart to get money for myself and to be greedy with it, that's how I get happy. I get money and I keep it for myself and I do whatever I want to do with it. That my heart is king. It tells me how to be happy. And who are you and who is anybody else to tell me any different? If I want to do it, if I feel inclined to it, I shouldn't resist it. I should give in to it. I should live that way. Uh, if, 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 you know, if it makes me feel good to lose my temper and scream at everybody, if it makes me feel good uh, to be unfaithful, if it makes me feel good to sleep around, if it makes me feel good, who is anybody else to tell me how to live my life Happiness is found in me doing what I want to do. That is a constant philosophical theme of the world without God. And this book, what this book is telling us is that, that this man who answers the call of the lust of the flesh, this man who is not controlled by the rules and given direction, and he's not going to find happiness. He's not going to find it all. The Bible contends that happiness is found in just the opposite view. That happiness, true joy from God is found when I resist my broken sin nature, when I discover God's nature for me, and I pursue God's direction in my life I battle with my sin nature, and with the help of God, I overcome it, and I live in righteousness that then I find the blessing and the fulfillment that only God can give in my life. That's what, the Bible, that's what this, this book is, is, is telling us and is speaking to us. So, the man who finds true joy is going to find it in the truth of God's will in our lives. Now, if I believe the opposite, if I believe the lie, and I excuse God's word away, and I decide to live the way my heart lives, or I allow others in my life to do, I am setting myself up and setting them up for doom. They're not going to be happy. They're not going to find peace. 
They're not going to find the joy. They're not going to find life in God. They're going to find brokenness because our flesh lies to us. So let's listen again. Blessed is the man, happy is the man, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. One of the first things that we're told as we begin to look in the Psalms is who we allow to influence our life is important. Who we listen to, who we give into, we give into the sin nature within us, or we give into the culture around us. It's important. The wicked become defined as those who have chosen to ignore or reject the Word of God as a standard for living. These are people who may be nice people. You may think they're nice and they're sweet. They may be funny. They may be entertaining. But at some point in life, they have, they have decided that what they're going to follow is their own desires, and they reject any, anything that comes again into their life to try to put them into a godly place. They may know they're doing that, some of them don't know they're doing that. But they've made a decision. And the second anybody says to them that sin, they scoff at it. And the second anybody says that sin, they say, no, that's, that's not right. That person was just born that way. They were just made that way. Well, guess what? We were born with a sin nature. And if we let that sin nature go, we're going to do all sorts of things. So the wicked person by the Bible is a person who has some way rejected the Word of God as a guide for their life and has given in to actively pursuing another way of living. And the godly man, the person who loves God, who trusts God, who believes in God, does not follow them. He does not let the wicked people in the world who've rejected God, we get all of it, oh, we're saying people are wicked. Yes. Without God, we're all wicked. You know, the, 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 see, that's, that's part of what the world does. The world doesn't want us to put judgment on anything. And God clearly does. The godly man doesn't, he doesn't follow that influence. He looks, he asks, what's influencing this person's life? What's directing this person's life? They have rejected what the Bible has said. They've rejected what's revealed in the Word of God. And they are living another way, either in purposely or by ignorance. They've turned their back on the Word of God. I cannot follow them. I cannot be influenced by them. I can't hang out with them. I don't want to sit under their advice. 
I don't want to read their book about how to raise my kids. I don't want to read their book about how to conduct my marriage. I don't want to read their book about how to conduct my life as a single person. I don't want to listen to what they say is right and wrong. I don't want to hear what they say. They may be very entertaining on TV. They may come across so sweet and so nice. They may give lots of things away and everybody may, oh, look how wonderful they are giving things away. But their advice is founded on wickedness, on a rejection of God's truth. And the Christian, the righteous follower of Christ, has to be mature enough to see that, to say, wait a second, they are celebrating what the Bible says is evil. They are telling me to live a way that the Bible says is of the sin nature. I cannot be influenced by that. I must get away from that. And many times that means I'm not going to read that book anymore. I'm not going to listen to that television host anymore. I'm not going to be a part of it because they're influencing me to celebrate what is wicked. Are you with me today? Now, this calls, Christians, this calls for us to really be strong here. The godly man doesn't sit under their advice. And this happens in many ways. This isn't just, you know, what church you go to. Listen, you can go to a wicked church. There are churches that have given in to wickedness. They have accepted what the culture says is right and rejected what the Bible says is right. And you can say you're going to church. You're just not going to the church where Jesus is king. And you've got to reject that. This can, but this doesn't just come in people that we know. I'm telling you, this can come from a television talk show host. This can come from a magazine that has an underlying theme of celebrating wickedness, celebrating lifestyles that are evil, that want to... That their, that their intent is to slowly influence you to think about things the wrong way. The person who's going to university or going to send their kids to a secular school has to be aware that, boy, wickedness can seep, seep into here, and I can be sitting and listening or I can be sending my kids to a place where they're hearing philosophically things that are wicked. Now, how am I going to combat that? How do I watch it in my own life? How do I combat it in my kids' lives? What am I going to do? This is an important, important issue for the fundamental way of how I see the world. Who is influencing my life? If it's the wicked, I'm doing the opposite of what Psalm chapter 1 says for me to do. The righteous man doesn't sit under that. He turns it off. He walks away. If I'm serious about this and I, I'm raising my kids, I've got to think about who's influencing my kid's life and how do I combat wickedness when it comes into their life. If the music I'm listening to is a celebration of values that are against the Word of God, what am I listening to? What am I, I'm sitting under the influence of, of wickedness. Now, it goes on. His delight's not in those things. 
His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This person is somebody who believes the promises of God so much that studying the Word is not a religious activity. It is an activity of health. It is, it is eating the good food. It is getting the good meal. It is getting the promises of God. And, and they don't just do this out of religion, but they come to the teaching out of hunger. They come to the, the, the discussion groups with a desire to learn. They open up their Bible and they delight in it. They want more of it in their life. They've, they've, they've aligned their life with the Word of God and he takes it and he meditates on that Word day and night. What does that mean? As he walks through life, he's thinking and he's looking at the world around him and he said, okay, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible tell me to do about this? What does the Bible say? What is, the, what is God's words? He's thinking about how this gets applied out into his life. He doesn't just want to know the word. He wants to apply the word in his life. And so he's sitting in a room full of people celebrating something that the Bible says is wrong. And he's not rejoicing that. He's not giving into that. He's thinking, wow, I've got to get out of this. He meditates on the law. The happy person will ultimately be the one who delights in the Word of God, who lets the Word of God be the influence of his life. This is the intro that's laying out the foundation of what's going to unfold throughout the, the first book of the Psalms. Now listen, what it's saying is this. The Psalms are the pathway to godly happiness. It's the pathway Remember, that fits in all situations. What that means is that when the, that happiness that comes from God comes in the security that we're doing the right thing and we're living the right way. It doesn't come in the security that everything around me is going well. I, I, may, I may be having to go against the flow. But the happiness of God, the joy of God comes into my life from being in the middle of God's will. This is why we say in, in our vision statement, in our vision statement, the second point of our vision statement, life to the full, that Jesus promises, is that security comes from walking in obedience to God's word. There's a sense of security. I know God's promises are true. I know what he's saying is right. If I do it his way and I don't compromise this for whatever other feelings I might have, but I stand on the word of God, I know it will be the right way to live. And that way in the middle of any storm, I've got to listen to the promise. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in, in its season and its leaf does not wither, and, it do, and, and all that he does, he prospers. A tree planted by water always has nourishment. It's, it's whatever season it is, it's planted by the water. It's not dependent upon the rain. It's planted by the water. Its roots go deep down and get into the water. It always has nourishment. The Word of God, the person who delights in the Word, he always has nourishment. Whatever's going on in his life, whatever storm's coming, whatever scorched 
part of the life is going on. He's got nourishment. People looking at him going, how do you have peace? I'd be falling apart. He's got nourishment. Because he's delighting in the law of the Lord. He's studying the word. He's looking at the word. And the living word of God is swelling up within him. This is one of the reasons we tell you, read the word. Delight in the word. Pour the word into your life. Here's the second point. If you stay tapped in, your fruit will, uh, your fruit will grow. Your fruit will grow. You know, you know, the first place of our fruit is our children. In due season, if I stay tapped in, if I keep living the righteous life, if I keep delighting in the law and doing and saying, in due season, my fruit will, the fruit will bear. Now listen, if you're, not, if, if you're giving in to sin, if you're giving in to wickedness, if you're giving in to all of those things and you're not resisting them and your children are pursuing them and you're not resisting them, you don't have that promise. The promise is to the person who delights in the law of the Lord and stands upon the law of the Lord. You stay tapped in, your fruit will grow. You won't dry up, but you will stay full of life. When the storms are wiping everybody else out, that person who's standing in the Word, living by the Word, delighting in the Word, he's going to be full of life in the middle of the storm. And you will prosper in the things of life. Now, this is the promises that hang on to those who are righteous. Let's take just a minute and look for those who go with the wicked. He says, the wicked are not so. Now remember, this is an introduction of what you're going to hear throughout the rest of the psalm as you read it, the psalms. But are like chaff that the wind drives, drives away. The person who builds their life on a rejection of the word, they decide to live in, uh, in opposition to the word. Eventually, there's nothing left. There is no true sweetness to life in the way of the wicked. It is happiness for a moment and pain for a lifetime. It is a momentary thrill for a lifetime of destruction. The earth this earth will bring ruin. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The day that our lives are judged, they will be seen for what they are. No matter how popular they've been, no matter how many books they've written, no matter how many movies they've produced, no matter how much uh, of this world they've, they've, they've walked in, no matter how, uh, what kind of a sexual life they've lived, whatever it is, at the end of the day, when they stand before God, their life will be seen for what it is. Foolish, failures, depraved. They rejected God's direction. They live by their own standards. And there's no life in it. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the path before us in the Psalms. This is the life that comes here. The Psalms breathe life into the heart of the righteous. 
giving each one the strength to walk in this sin-scorched life with the grace and the power of God. We're not depending upon this life to give us life. We're depending upon the Word of God to give us life. We're going to be planted by streams of water. Yes, there may be hard winds that come our way. Yes, there may be things that we have to resist in this life. You're going to read all about those throughout the Psalms. These guys that wrote this, David didn't always have it easy. It wasn't always simple. But he kept coming back to one thing. He kept coming back to who God was in his life and find the life that is God. So I want to challenge you tonight. Begin to read and study the Psalms. Take some of these tools, begin to look at the Psalms, and let the Psalms breathe life into your life. I hope this has been a a good introduction for you. And the best way you can use some of these tools, as I said earlier, is is to take them and just begin to get a good overview of the Psalms. And we'll take uh, about, like I said, five to ten minutes each week to kind of give you a little bit more insight into the Psalms as a whole and how they work as a whole so that you'll have this kind of tool as you read the Psalms to go and say, okay, now who wrote this? When did they write this? What was kind of the theme about this and what's it saying to us? And it's going to help some of this really unfold for you.